Thank you, Terry, for that warm introduction. (laughs) And so we come to our final episode in our journey through the book of Colossians. And when we pick up the Old Testament, we're often looking for different things when we pick up the Bible. As you lift, lift up the Bible, you open the pages, or you scroll through to the bit that you're up to, which, uh, what are you actually looking for? What, what's, what's your motivation? I think as we pick up the New Testament, we're often looking for the eyewitness accounts from people who were there. That's high on our agenda And it's also where we go to find out about God, to find out who God is, to increase our understanding of who God is, Uh, our theology, our understanding. And in Colossians, there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of who Jesus is, of how Jesus fits into eternity, how Jesus interacts with humanity, who Jesus is. Is some of the biggest themes of the nature of God and the nature of humanity. It's there in front of us. And quite often, as well, we'll open the Bible and we'll read it, especially maybe the New Testament, because we're looking for um, advice for everyday life. We're looking for how we can actually put this stuff into practice. And again, as we've picked up Colossians, not only has it has the, had these massive themes of who Jesus is and, and, and how it all fits together, it's also talked about marriages and the workplace and prayer and forgiveness. There's all this day-to-day wisdom that we can pick up as well. So you've got like these massive themes of, of who God is and, and his eternal plan for humanity, and you've got advice for day-to-day life. How are we going to work out our faith? But there's another thread that's running right the way through the New Testament uh, in almost every single passage that sometimes we can almost skip past. We can uh, uh, not pay enough attention to, and that is the people. The people, the people involved in the, uh, the passage, in the account that we're studying. When we think of people, sure, we know, we know Jesus and Paul and Peter and Matthew and a few of the others. We know the great heroes of the faith, probably. But it's quite easy to skip over the other names of the other people who we don't know. Almost like they're extras in a film. If, uh, if it was a piece of musical theatre, they'd be members of the chorus. They wouldn't be the sort of the stars of the show. In a film, they might be on the last page of the credits. Does anyone here watch Suits? Do you watch Suits? The, yeah, the series all about some lawyers in New York... Now, uh, I was watching Suits last night, and uh, it's a group of lawyers, so especially all the blokes are wearing suits, and, uh, and they work in a massive office block in New York where everybody is wearing suits, and that office block is in the central business district in New York where everyone is wearing suits. And at the end of series four, there's a credit that comes right through. As the credits scroll through, it tells you who all the famous people are. And then right at the end, on the last page, 
there's this person who's down in the credits as man in a suit. (laughs) And I would have thought that that is the least important role in the history of television, but it's obviously someone's mate who has been put in to suits. But I bet you, if you watch series four, you won't be able to guess who this man is amongst the thousands of people wearing suits. This passage, above everything else today, is about the people. It's almost like a window into a community on a mission. When Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he writes in quite a similar way and he finishes off with this massive uh, array of uh, greetings and messages and stuff like that. So he writes a really sort of deep letter full of doctrine to the Romans and then he finishes it with all of these personal greetings and stuff like that. Because it is about the doctrine, it is about the mission, but it's also about connecting with the people. And now he's in Rome and he's writing this book to the church in Colossae. But again, it finishes with lots of people. There's a dynamic picture of church life being played out through the people involved. People coming, people going, people moving, people serving alongside each other. People who've obviously been captured in this vision that Paul has to reach the whole empire with the good news of Jesus. Now, right at the start of our series, we heard about one of these people, Epaphras. And do people here remember the story of him? So he's the person who's set up the church in uh, Colossae. And suddenly, a name that didn't necessarily sort of uh, ring any bells before, Epaphras comes into the middle of the story and into our understanding of the New Testament, like coming in from the sidelines and taking his place in the story. And today, there's a whole load more people who are going to come from the sidelines of New Testament history and actually take their place today in the story. (coughs) As I was preparing this talk, I had almost like a a prophetic statement come to me, and I think this is probably where we're going to move through the talk. And it was this. We're going to be hearing about the army of the unknown. The army of the unknown. Not just the famous people, not just the familiar people, but the army of the unknown. I've got another question for you this morning. Are you famous? Are you famous? Could you put your hands up if you are a famous Christian? No. There's a danger in sort of like Christian circles, how we can sort of think, oh, well, you know, people like Billy Graham, they, they do great things for God. We're, we're, just, we're just here sort of toddling on, doing our thing where we are. If only we were sort of more like Billy Graham, that's when God would use us. But it appears that behind any great ministry or any great leadership or any great move of God through human history... There's the people that you might have heard of. There's the leaders who you might have read the book of or the biography of. But behind every great move of God, there is an army of the unknown. Obviously not unknown to God, but unknown in terms of celebrity, in terms of fame. Actually, 
that is the army that is going to see revival come. It's not just about the heroes. It's not just about the famous people. It's about this community, this vibrant community of the gospel, these different people. And now I'm going to read the passage. I cannot guarantee that I will pronounce any of these names properly, but I don't think you know how to say them either. So we're going to go with my way for today. So Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So the danger with a passage like this is that it's a little bit like receiving a postcard. Does anybody here still get postcards? I'm remarkably impressed by that. I only really get postcards off my parents now. And what happens is I pick up this message to me, and it's got a few names of people I don't know, and a few names of places I don't understand. So you just kind of like skip past all the details, look at the picture, and put it on the fridge. That might be why I don't get many postcards. (laughs) Certainly, I doubt any of you are going to be queuing up to send me postcards now. But this isn't what we want to do today. We don't just want to skip past the details of people and perhaps places that we don't understand. Stick it to the fridge and forget about it. Let's get on with the next book of the Bible. Actually, we want to see who these people are and why is their significance for them. We're going to dig into it and understand a little bit more about the army of the unknown based there in Rome. One quick observation as well before we start is that if Paul's in Rome and he's writing to Colossae, that is actually a long way. It's a day's trip to Ephesus and then you have to catch a ship and go across the Mediterranean Sea to receive people or to receive messages. So there's a connection between these people in the faith, even though they're miles and miles apart. How important to them must their partnership be to make 
all of that effort. They must have loved Paul enough to send people to him, even though he'd never been to them. And, and I just wonder, like in the days of Skype and FaceTime, do we take for granted our opportunities to connect with people? He's, he's mentioning all these names, but my goodness, these people had to work at being connected by foot and by sea to get in the same place as one another. So we'll start in verse 7, and we're going to start with someone who many of us will have never, ever heard of. And what we're going to find is that you don't have to be famous to make an enormous difference. Tychicus, a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now that's quite a character reference, isn't it? Dear brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant. I'd like to put that on my CV one day when, uh, when I reach that stage. In Acts 20, we can see that Tychicus is from this area of Turkey, and he goes with Paul on part of one of his missionary journeys. And then later, as Paul's writing to Colossae and to Ephesus, he says he's sending him to encourage them. Paul is now in chains, he's in prison or he's under house arrest, but he's sending this guy, Tychicus, in his stead. And likewise, later, Paul writes to Timothy and he writes to Titus and he suggests again sending this guy, Tychicus, in order to free them up, to allow them to travel themselves. But the truth is, we don't know a lot about this guy. But what we do know is impressive. He was clearly a trusted messenger, a faithful preacher, a loyal friend. Paul places huge uh, trust in him, great confidence in him to go and do important things. I'm stuck in prison, but it's okay because I can send this guy. <coughs> He's obviously got the ability to minister in different places. He's obviously bringing encouragement to churches when he goes there. Paul may never come and visit you, but he can send this guy. And that's the message that the church in Colossae receive that this guy's coming. And he's coming with Onesimus. Verse 9. Another guy that you won't really have heard of unless you've read the book of Philemon. Philemon was most likely in this church in Colossae and Onesimus was his domestic servant or slave who'd run away and he'd gone to see Paul in Rome and he'd become a believer and so this is now a bit of an awkward moment for the church because he's done a runner, but now he's met Paul and come to faith. You can read that in a little bit more depth in the book of Philemon. But here, Paul calls him your brother and invites them to welcome him back as a brother. And this is absolutely huge. It shows how inclusive the Christian community was and was becoming. The only place where people could gather together across social and racial divides. He runs away as a slave. He escapes basically as a criminal. But now because of the gospel, he's being welcomed back as a brother. It doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter what you've done. The moment you come to Christ, you become family. 
This guy isn't just, he's not just asking them to forgive him. They're asking, he's asking them to relate to him based on his adoption in Christ, now as a brother. All these societal barriers are removed. Tychicus and Onesimus are on the way. This would have been exciting and potentially challenging news for the church in Colossae. And next up comes Aristarchus. Has anyone ever heard of him? I hadn't. Not really. At least I didn't think I had. It didn't ring any bells. And then I looked into who he was. And we find out that he is a hugely significant person in the story. Aristarchus, the army of the unknown. He was a traveling companion with Paul on his journey to Rome. So he was with him in part of his ministry in the book of Acts. And now we see him, he's clearly with Paul now in Rome. So their ministry and partnership has been intertwined and working together in a deep and significant way over many years. Aristarchus says hi. That's the message. Why would that have meant anything to them in Colossae? Well, remember the huge events that happened in Ephesus a few years ago where the whole city rose up and there was a great riot in the theatre and Paul was dragged out before the people. Martin described that in, in much detail in a previous talk. It wasn't just Paul in Ephesus. In Acts 19, this guy, Aristarchus, was one of Paul's traveling companions who was also captured and taken to the theater. And he, too, made an amazing escape from Ephesus just down the road. He was part of the incredible ministry, the incredible events that happened in Ephesus that had so shaped the church just up the road in Colossae. And now he's in Rome and he's sending his greetings. It's not just another name on a letter. It's not just some pleasantry. It's not some extra. He's totally woven into the story of Paul's ministry and the church there in Colossae. And they would have been thrilled to hear that Aristarchus sends greetings. When you get to heaven, if you want to find out what it was like in Ephesus, or indeed much of what it was like in the book of Acts, I suggest that you don't bother going to Paul. The queue to speak to Paul is going to be so long. I know we've got forever, but even so, the queue to speak to Paul is going to be so long. It's going to be full of Christians wanting to talk to him about what he really meant about men and women and having this discussion with Paul that's going to go on forever. Go and find Aristarchus. Because he was there too. And he can tell you. Paul wrote the letters. Paul was the hero. But Aristarchus was there. A senior leader in his own right. Part of the army of the unknown. Who changed the known world for the good news of Jesus. Next up we hear about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas who they've received instructions about, because he might visit them too at some stage. People coming, people going, people visiting, 
people passing through. And this is the Mark, the early traveling companion of Paul, who would later on go and write the gospel of Mark. And he's sending greetings, and he might visit them. And then there's another believer called Jesus, but known as Justice, and he sends greetings too. Now, we really don't know this much, that much about him in the slightest, but he says hi, and so that is the main thing. <laughs> Next up, in verse 12, comes news from Epaphras, the key guy who'd kicked it all off to start with. None of it would have happened without him. Now, we have heard quite a lot of him already in this series he doesn't just say hi. As the founder of the church there, he's always praying for them, always wrestling in prayer for them, that they will stand firm, that they will be mature in their faith. Despite all this false teaching that's going around, he is praying that they will stand firm. And I don't know about you, but I want people in my life who will wrestle in prayer that I will stand firm. Then in verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Wow, that's the Luke, also writer of a gospel. And he's saying hi too. So there are some real like big hitters in Paul's circle of influence. The strength of Paul's ministry seems to be not just his own gifts, but the array of people that he's working with and able to build team with. Then the list includes Demas, Nympha, until we reach an important message, not from someone in Rome, but to someone in Colossae, Archippus. Now, that's not a name I've heard of either. But it seems that he's one of the current leaders in the church in Colossae. (coughs) And it certainly seems significant because he's the one who's getting a personal message. Archippus, complete the ministry that you've received in the Lord. We don't know why he in particular receives this message But perhaps this is the leader who really needs to stand firm in the face of all the false teaching that's happening in that area and to complete the ministry that he's been called to, not knocked off course by the different viewpoints that Paul has been warning against. Stand firm, Archippus. I'm speaking to you directly. Continue what God has called you to do. See to it that you fulfill your calling in God. And there we go. How was church this morning? Yeah, it was all right. Cheers. Yeah, thanks. What was the talk about? It was about Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Epaphras, and even a bit about Archippus. Were you expecting that? Did you know that the might of the Roman Empire itself was turned on its head through the power of the Holy Spirit at work through people like this. One of the greatest political and economic and military powers the world has ever known turned on its head because these faithful people work together 
in their generation, supported the leadership they had, supported the churches they knew, stepped out in faith, and saw God move in an incredible way. The army of the unknown. Sure, there were the headliners, Paul, Mark, Luke, but right the way through, there's teams of people, local people, people being sent, people staying, people praying, people sending money, leadership gifts being shared, churches being supported. Many of the heroes of heaven will be people that we've never really heard of, who got on with what God gave to them, where they were, and who supported and got behind the leaders that God had called out. A few observations on this passage, and then we're done. First of all, what you see in front of you in this passage is a community of mission. We see in verse 11 that that many of them are with a Jewish background, but others of them aren't. And they're writing to Colossae, which isn't a Jewish city. So there's this cross-cultural, cross-class, racial background, religious background, across everything, and they're working together. They're ignoring some of the tensions in their society, one man, one woman in Christ, and working together for the sake of the gospel. And I think what we can see from this is that mission is robust when there's a high level of partnership and a high level of working together. That's why we're really excited to be involved locally with other churches as part of Christ Central Churches. It it makes sense. Something happens in God when you partner with local people in mission. It's why there's so much benefit to the life of a church, to hearing voices from outside, people who've come to tell you other things that are happening. So Gavin Calver last week is just such a wonderful example of someone coming and able to speak into and encourage the life of our church. We'll get the same and more from Jeremy next week on Saturday night, speaking to us on revival. A community of mission working together, not just Paul, the leader, and everybody else sitting in rows waiting for him to do something, but a community of mission. Secondly, there seems to be a real community engagement with the scripture. In verse 16, the purpose of these letters was to be read in churches like we've just done over the last few weeks. There's something really powerful, something really intentional about the public reading of Scripture. He says to them, read this together, then let the church down the the road read it, then you read their letter. And it's amazing to think, just think this, 2,000 years later, we can read the same letter in church together. And we can hear the same voice of God through the Holy Spirit speaking to us through it. That is what it was intended for, to be read in the churches that the voice of God could be heard. Thirdly, specific messages of encouragement can be very, very important. 
I wonder if I can set you a little bit of homework. I'd like you to ask God this week, do you have a specific message of encouragement that he'd like you to give somebody? Not a generic thing, not a, oh, all Christians are like this, so I'm reminding you, but actually something that's for them, something that's quite specific. (coughs) This Archippus, keep on going. Don't give up. Keep on going in what God has called you to do. Absolutely specific for him at that time. There must have been a huge importance for him to hear those words. Not just a general encouragement, but Archippus, I'm naming you and I'm encouraging you before God to continue with what God has given you to do. Who could you encourage this week? Telling someone something that they really need to hear. And I've had some really important moments in my life where people have taken me to one side and they've encouraged me or uh, they've really um, encouraged me to focus on something specific or they've encouraged me away from something that they don't feel is helpful for me. So I thank God that there's people in this room, especially, dare I say it, some of the older men in this room, the godly men in this room, who take me to one side every so often and speak words of encouragement into me. I wonder, this week, could each of us consider, is there someone that we can text, phone, Facebook message, direct message, or even speak to with a direct word of encouragement for them. That's your homework for this week. And the final point, and this is where we're going to conclude. Don't let the barriers stop you. Verse 10, Paul is in prison or under house arrest. He's done some of his most amazing work, his most amazing letters, his encouragements, his theology, when when in this situation. And so what I want to say this morning is life can and does have confinements, restrictions, problems, He was in prison. God can still work through you in the confinement. And I find this quite challenging. Are there circumstances that make us feel almost powerless today? Things that are going on that are a deep challenge to us, like uh, physical difficulties, illness, Relational problems, maybe our age, whether young or old, restrictions we're under. The latest one for me is like, oh, you know, when my kids are a bit older and I have a little bit more time, then I will. Restrictions that we find or we place ourselves under. What's our attitude in those situations? Paul could have said, you know what, God, I'm actually a bit annoyed that you've allowed me to fall into this situation. And when you get me out of prison, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. I'm going to start doing stuff again 
once you let me out and give me back my freedom. But he doesn't do that at all. He says, remember me in chains. I'm sending Tychicus and he's going to come instead because I can't. Paul isn't held back by the limitations of his circumstances. The power and the strength of the team around him comes into play. And he literally writes words that change the course of human history while under house arrest in Rome. Literally change the course of human history, both on an individual level and on a society level. Because he realized that no matter what the circumstances and no matter how it finished for him, there was this army of the unknown who were being released into the known world and were making Jesus famous. And so 2,000 years later, he never did visit Colossae, we don't think. We don't think he was ever really released from prison again. But 2,000 years later, those words have not only power because they were inspired from God, but they have power because for 2,000 years, their voices shouted loudly still that the Lord Jesus is over all creation, King of kings and Lord of lords. A letter from a prisoner to people he'd never met delivered through the ages by the army of the unknown. Thank you. Brilliant.